Hi, I'm Sharon Davis, Chief Executive of Young Enterprise, and welcome to Series 3 of Enterprising Mindsets, Minding Your Money, where we'll be exploring the often overlooked role that mindset plays in building financial capability and the benefits to be gained from understanding the impact our attitudes, beliefs and values have on our behaviours around money. I'm hoping we'll discover new ways to help young people build a money-related mindset and also explore the contribution this then could have in increasing social mobility in the future. My guest today is Alistair McQueen, who is the head of savings and retirement at Aviva, the UK's largest and world's oldest insurer, founded in 1696. Alistair leads Aviva's pensions business, helping 6 million people save for and live in retirement. As an employer of 15,000 people in the UK from 18 to 78, Aviva have been recognised for its age-friendly policies designed to ensure that age represents no barrier to opportunity. Alistair represents Aviva in the media and with government and sits on the advisory board of Brave Starts, a social enterprise with the goal of supporting a fuller working life. Alistair, welcome to Minding Your Money. I am delighted to be here. Lovely to meet you, Sharon. Lovely to meet you. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. Really keen to hear your insights on how we can help young people build a long-term mindset towards money. Often a tricky topic when you're focused on or, or having a hard time navigating the here and now. But before we get into that, I'd love our listeners to get to know you a little bit by asking a question we ask all of our guests on Minding Your Money. And that is, who and what were your early memorable influences that informed your mindset around money? Good question. I guess I'm supposed to say that I've always been very good with my money and it's always been top of my list and follow my lead. I think I'd be lying if I said that. Now, I'm speaking well, it's just to... me and you. It's just me and you. <laughs> you can tell me. I mean, I'm sitting here and I'll tell you, I'm sitting in Yorkshire and you might tell from my voice I'm Scottish. And yeah. these are the two stereotypically most tight people. And I can say that <laughs> because I sit in both boxes. And therefore, I should be your perfect advocate of managing money perfectly. Yeah. But that would not be the case. I'll tell you, I, I, I'm a late developer, as I think many people are in this arena. Yes, I had pocket money. I had a paper round. I had a Saturday job. I had a student job. But it was very much hand to mouth. You know, I was living in the moment. And so it has taken time for me to appreciate the real life value of managing money and taking control of my finances and how it's good for my own personal well-being but it has taken time I think like many people maybe I, I go back to my family and my parents not because they sat down and they showed me a calculator and they gave me a piggy bank but I think I think they did and maybe it was a generational thing I'm 46 maybe it was a generational thing they they, they lived within their means it wasn't a grand upbringing it was a make do and mend and and you worked hard and you earned your reward. And with that reward, you had to manage that reward. So it was, a, it was something of a frugal upbringing or, or, or careful upbringing. But those foundations that I learned from my mom and my dad, I think have, have taught me that if it's not me, then who's going to look after me? If I'm not going to do it now, then when? And with that kind of foundation and with life experience, I've grown to learn. So a closing message in this opening question is for anybody, it's never too late to to wake up to the power of of taking control of our finances. Um, and I, I'm one of those who came late to the party. 
And it's interesting you should say com- coming late to the party. How important do you think that kind of having relatable role models are around you when it comes to helping young people develop um, financial capability? I think hugely and more so now than ever. When I was growing up, my influencers, which wasn't even a word, but my influence were my mates, my mum and dad, my brother and my sister, within a square mile of each other. Now, influencers are global. Four billion people on the planet are united via the internet. And therefore, role models are so much more powerful today than they've ever been. And it's not necessarily the academic, but see, it's going to explain how people can take control of their money, but it's demonstrating solid behaviors and the solid practices. And I certainly learn by watching, learn by doing. And and if you can, learn from people that have it under control and 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 watch people who are, are, are have some subtlety in managing their money then that's a great place so, so identify those people watch listen and learn from them and then that would be a great foundation for all of us and i guess as well you've got to be able to to relate to them haven't you you've got to see yourself a little bit of yourself in them a little bit i guess you do. Otherwise, it's just uh, too far away. It's just it's, it's not it's accessible. It's an interesting one that again, I guess, because a lot of the influencers nowadays are Premiership footballers who earn X hundred thousand pounds a week, or X factor celebrities who who go from nowhere to hero overnight. Now, those can be great influencers on people, but are they really realistic and relatable? So, the relatable people that we can learn from have a lot of competition out there for the eyes and ears of of the younger generation. But if the young people can find those people that can be relatable and sensible, then that's a fantastic foundation. And I guess as well, when we're thinking about relatable role models, we'll talk about it a little bit later about the importance of of really engaging your workforce in perhaps yeah. being 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 some of those relatable role models. But um I'd really like to hear your insights on on developing a long-term perspective on on money i'm not going to ask you any more questions about <laughs> about your upbringing or or being in scotland or or yorkshire but this is kind of a work focus really people we know are living longer than ever before we know that things like pensions and long term investments can be tricky topics um to cover especially for young people who may struggle with the concepts of long term deferred gratification yeah. are you the ways in which you think we can engage young people in thinking about their medium to long-term plans? Well, I think you've touched on the great news story is that we as society are, are living longer than we ever have. And the young people of today will live longer than we ever have in the past. I think there are various ways of, of presenting that change. And the one that I go to is it's pretty much 100 years ago that the British monarchy started sending telegrams to people on their 100th birthday and 100 years ago King George V sent 24 telegrams 24 this year the queen will sell ne- send nearly 10,000 telegrams to people celebrating the 100th birthday which is remarkable and wonderful and then there's however there's a but that follows and the but is that longer life has to be paid for and the challenge of paying for a longer and longer life is going to be greater for today's younger generation So you're right, getting people to think about the future is a great challenge, but the need to rise to that challenge today for today's young people is greater than it has ever been. 
And so we must rise to this challenge. Nobody, it's not an easy one to answer. It's not an easy one to fix, but avoiding it is no option. So longer life is one factor. The other factor that comes into play is that individual responsibility for our financial long-term well-being is greater than ever as well. In in my parents' generation and previous generations, and to some extent at the start of my working life, our longer-term finances were sorted for us. For most people in former generations, the state would look after you and or the employer would look after you and you didn't really need to think about it. It was there. You had some sort of income when you reached retirement. That has changed. Responsibility has shifted from the shoulders of the state and the employer onto the shoulders of the individual. And we must empower, support, educate, enthuse people, especially the youngest people, to rise to this responsibility, take control of their money so that they can thrive and celebrate what should be a wonderful longer later life more than any year has has in the past. So the need to do is great. The challenge is significant, but avoiding it is not an option. And bringing you back to the present, I want to ask you about child trust funds, if I may. Um, We know that between September 2020-2028, approximately 6 million 18-year-olds, regardless of their background, will receive a lump sum. Some estimate that could be an average £1,500, and they'll need to make choices about this money. Uh, What do you think can be done to support young people to make more informed decisions with this money, particularly those perhaps facing multiple barriers to, to social mobility? Well, I think it's great that you asked the question because, first of all, we need to tell the population that this money exists. I think there is research that you'll have seen yourself that a large percentage of the population who have these child trust funds provided for them by the state do not know they exist. And from the age of 18, you may have a thousand or more pounds waiting for you to use. So, first of all, let's raise the awareness and let's put the advert for the the HMRC website, if you're not sure whether you're 18 plus and you have one of these, go and have a look. So that that's the advert done. Make sure you don't walk past this money. What Once you've identified if you've got it, then this is a, this is a, a wonderful, and for, a, for a, a finite population, a wonderful uh, starting ground for, for, for managing and taking control of money. This is money that you, you never had and therefore you didn't really expect to have it and therefore you might not lose it if you don't use it today uh, miss it if you don't use it today so so exactly this is this can be a wonderful training ground with a thousand pounds um try to resist the temptation to spend it all at once it was a fund to provide a foundation for your longer life it wasn't a fund to provide a party necessarily um and then understand the options that are available to you for example the first place that most people will go to with finances is to a bank. And the range of bank providers today available to all ages is greater than it's ever been. Many of them are showing great innovation using digital technology, allowing you to manage your money via apps. So so use this as an opportunity to explore the wonderful range of online technology that is available for you to simply deposit that money and learn about the benefits that different banks offer. Go onto the internet, search for different bank accounts, option one. If you want to be a little bit more sophisticated, then there's secondly, there's products like, like ISA's individual savings accounts, which can provide some more enhanced returns on your savings if you want to do that, potentially investing in 
in, in investment funds and getting some reward from that. So that's step two. You could explore that option. Your money is not locked away. You will always have it. And potentially a third option with some of the money to, again, learn about the financial world as you could. And I'm, I say this with some acceptance that is now a risk with it. You could use it to explore investment options. You could, for the, for some educational purposes, buy some shares in some companies, learn what it's about. I'm not saying put all your money into that option, but spend some of that money in buying some, some investments. So learn what investing is about. So use this money. Don't spend it. Explore with it. Be curious with it. See what opportunities there are out there and educate yourself with this foundation that you have got if you're one of the fortunate people who are in this, this pool of this population. Thank you. That was a very comprehensive kind of range of uh, of options. So thank you for that, Alistair. That's that was great. Um, I'm going to come back to relatable role models, if if I may. And uh, we know that financial education in the workplace isn't new, but I am interested in Aviva's new research that I think found that personality type was a crucial indicator of financial well being. Mm. What opportunities do you see for employers to support? employees with their finances, especially those, I guess, in their first few years of employment? I think there are, to put it into context, there's about 1 million employers in the UK and there are about 30 million working people in the UK. Now, these employers can be a wonderful bridge to those individuals to help them take control of their money. And if I was speaking to an employer I wouldn't say, look, don't just see this as a generous, nice-to-do activity. It's not just about giving free help to your staff for the fun of it. This is a really about investing in your population. By investing in them, first of all, you help them take control of their wealth and therefore they can rise to the challenges that we spoke about earlier. But also, by giving individuals more confidence around their money, you're helping them with their general well-being. Uh, and that general well-being will be good for the productivity of those individuals in your workforce, will help reduce their absenteeism from your workforce. So by investing in some element of financial support, financial education for your people, especially your young people, you as an employer will return receive a return on that investment. And also you as an employer will be able to recruit and hopefully retain the best talent that there is in the market. It's, there is a, a war for the best talent in the UK. You, you have no right to recruit the best people, but if you can demonstrate a commitment to them in one area that is critical to their life, that is their financial well-being, then you as an employer will be able to stand out from the crowd, put your head above the parapet, and young, ambitious, talented individuals will say, do you know what? I need help with my finances. That employer is willing to reach forward to me. I'm going to reach forward to them. And you could reap massive reward as the employer by investing something in that area. So it's a win for the individual. And it can also definitely be a win for the employer, for the, for the switched on employer that's willing to invest in that area. And in practical examples, what does that look like? Well, first of all, Aviva purely is a financial services organization. So I suppose we have one step up on the ladder when it comes to providing financial education to our people. For example, we do run 
educational. Now it's virtual in, in, in the world of pandemic. We run these virtually and all of our employees at different stages in their lives are invited to come along to educational sections where we will tailor education to the priorities and pressures facing people as they enter the workforce, shifting to the priorities and pressures they face in midlife when maybe the families or bigger mortgage responsibilities, and then finally in, in later life when they're starting to think about retirement planning. So we in our organization, we provide that spectrum of education for our people because we A, think it's the right thing to do, but B, looking at it through the lens potentially of a finance director, we see a return on that investment. We can recruit and retain the best people. Now, I accept we are a financial services organization. We have the resources and the skill set in-house, and therefore we can take that step. But that does not mean that if you're an engineering firm or a retail firm or some kind of hospitality firm that you're unable to rise to this challenge. Why do I say that? Well, there's a range, a vast range of free resources available to help the, the switched on employer. Um, a, a government agency called Money Helper provides a huge range of free resources and free help to this agenda. Potentially, if you do, as you will do as an employer, have a workplace pension, speak to the provider of that workplace pension. It might well be Aviva. And if so, ask them, what resources can you provide to help me? So look out there, find out what other free resources that are available and provide that small element of support and education to your people and, and manage expectations. I'm not asking and nobody's expecting the employer to be a financial education trainer or translate and transform the individual from being a financial novice to a financial expert. That is unrealistic. But what you can do is provide those individuals with some confidence and provide them with some awareness of other support that is available so that they themselves can rise to their individual responsibilities and, and take control of their financial well-being. They will reward you for that. They will thank you for that. And you as an employer will be able to get more out of your people. And so it's a win-win. And like you say, there's more information from Money Helper as well, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. There's very little out there, isn't there, in terms of research linking financial capability with social mobility. But at Young Enterprise, we've talked a lot about there being a link to very much explore. I'm just wondering whether you could spend a few minutes just sharing the contribution you think that financial capability could make to social mobility. It's a brilliant area to explore, and I think it's more critical now than ever to explore this social mobility and its link to financial capability and vice versa. So it's a really good area to discuss. I think there is definite evidence of of stretching of inequalities in society. And I, this was brought home to me recently when I was at an event where an esteemed academic was on the stage and he said, my one advice to young people today, if they want to secure long-term financial well-being, he said, he paused and he said, you know what? It's not work hard. It's not save hard. It's not invest well. It's none of those things. He said, my one piece of advice to a young person today, if you want to have a long-term financial secure future is be born of a wealthy parent. And and that was a really quite jarring thing he said. Uh, this is this, and, and I, as an individual, and I'm talking here as Alistair McQueen, not as an Aviva employee, but that doesn't sit comfortably with me. That regardless of what an individual chooses to do, there is an inequality in society that being born of a wealthy parent is the main means in which somebody can secure a long-term financial 
the future. That raises big, big questions that lie in the political arena to resolve. Now, we could either sit back and wait for the political issues to be resolved, and political people of all persuasions do want to resolve these challenges in society. But I don't think sitting back and waiting is the way to do it on its own. And your, your organisation is a brilliant example of somebody who wants to shake this debate and raise this, this conversation. But I think, I think what we can do is, while we're waiting for the political wheels to turn and address what are potentially increasing inequality and in, in social strains and challenges to social mobility in society, what we can all do is provide all people of all backgrounds with that foundational education um, when it comes to financial well-being, we should reach out to people who don't have the the, for, the fortunate backgrounds, potentially people who are entering the workforce who haven't come out of education with a strong financial level of, of insight and confidence and provide all as far as we can, whether it's through the employer, whether it's through financial providers like Aviva, whether it's through the academic system, provide all of them with that foundational financial confidence so that so that whatever background somebody is from, they are able to make the most and contribute the most that they can and break down these barriers to social mobility that may exist. We did some other research in Aviva that found financial issues are a massive contributor to personal levels of stress and anxiety. And and, 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 and these stress and anxiety can hold, hold any of us and all of us back. We, we must reach out to provide people with that financial foundation so that they can manage the stresses and strains of life in the 21st century. We as a society, I think we are pretty good at knowing how to handle physical well-being issues. I think we're getting a lot better at managing mental well-being issues. But when it comes to managing financial well-being issues, we are still in the starting blocks. And that's holding so many people back. Finally, the world is facing a lot of challenges today. We cannot afford to have a situation where some people, because of their social background, are not able to contribute as much as they potentially could. We need all the talent of all the backgrounds to make us rise to the challenges of the 21st century. So, so while the political wheels are turning, let's make sure that employers, financial services organisations, organisations like yourself do brilliantly reach out to make sure all, all social backgrounds can give their best. And you're so right, aren't you, about the potential to really make a contribution? Because if someone is able to understand how to manage a budget, make the best use of price comparison websites, um, understand how to take risks or, or when to take and manage debt, that could be make a huge difference to someone's future chances or future life chances compared to someone who doesn't know how to do those yeah. things. And I think that's something that we feel. I, I, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. And, and the financial world, for those who are close to it, it can be, and we like to revel in its complexity and its sophistication, etc. But the foundation that I think you and I are talking about is not at that end of the spectrum. It is, as you've rightly said, the basics of managing a budget the, the 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 simplicity of how to use the internet to use find best buy websites and how to the advantage of shopping around when it potentially comes to things like a bank account these foundational blocks will take so many people so further forward 
and, and give them that confidence. And then, yes, if they want to go off into the more adventurous corners of the financial world, go for it. But let's try and give everybody those those core foundations. Absolutely. Alistair, I can't let you go without asking you a question that we've got from young people about money and related money re- habits. So are you ready? Go for it. What are your best habits that you're proud of when it comes to managing your own money? Best habits. Um, again, I'll say it's nothing radical. It's nothing crazy. It's nothing sophisticated. I think one one thing that I do do, which is habitual, and it's two hours twice a year. Twice a year for two hours, I will sit down and just have a fresh look at my incomes and outgoings of money and where I've managed to save some money. And I just feel a heck of a lot better. It's like twice a year I have this spring clean. And if other people could find two hours twice a year, then I think they would have that foundational confidence that they know what where their money sits and they know where their money's a bit tight and they might know if they're overspending and they can get it back into order. So find two hours twice a year as a starter. And that's a habit that I, I try and follow. What are you most tempted by when it comes to a spending spree? The temptations align to my emotions. All right, and, okay. And what I would say is uh, I've learned from ex- mistake, try not to go shopping for food when I'm hungry because <laughs> then suddenly the trolley, yeah. I do come out with a fuller trolley than when I thought I would. And the other thing is try not to go shopping for clothes when it's a cold, cold day or I'm feeling cold. I'll, my anecdote here is I had to go and buy a duvet for a, my bed and it was freezing day when I went out and I was cold and I went in in that cold day and, and I was instinctively pulled, my emotions pulled me towards the ridiculously most expensive, thickest, deepest uh, derby I could find, which was practical on that day, but not on the other 364 days of the year. So, So it's the emotions that tempt me sometimes in the wrong direction. So maybe, maybe if you're going food shopping, Grab a sandwich before you go out um, and don't go into that shop too hungry and avoid those temptations pulling you in the wrong direction. And that's a great life lesson, isn't it? Attaching your emotional emotions to uh, to managing your money, being aware about how you're feeling yeah. at the time uh, when you're making your choices. So, Alistair, it's been really fun uh, talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on Minding Your Money. Thank you so much. Loved it. So thank you to Alistair. And to hear more interviews like this and access series one and two, please do subscribe to Enterprising Mindsets on your favourite podcast service. And we'd love you to leave a review as well, if possible. Thank you for listening. Listener.